Hello, Texans. Welcome to the program Thursday night. You know what that means. It's time for the General John McClain to pay us a visit as we broadcast from the Hyundai Texans radio studio and get ready for a huge game Sunday in Nashville. Texans, Oilers? That's what it says on the Titans social media stuff. It's bizarro world, but it's here, and it's so important to the Houston Texans. And John McClain, good evening, what do you think as the Texans have to rally the troops, whatever troops are available, to beat the Titans on Sunday? After the way they were embarrassed by the Jets, I would expect they would come out um, a little more interesting. Uh, the weather's supposed to be good. Uh, they should be sufficiently embarrassed because of the way they played against the Jets. Now they're in another must-win situation. Titans are coming off that incredible come-from-behind victory in Miami, in which they trailed by 14 with three minutes left and one by one. And so it's a very, very important game. Titans are just hoping to help ruin the Texans' uh, chances of making the playoffs. They'll play again in two weeks. Hopefully it'll be C.J. Stroud versus Will Levis, but we're going to get Davis Mills versus Will Levis, and Davis Mills won in Nashville last year, and the Titans have won. The Texans have won three in the last four in the Sun Stadium. So they're very, there's a, they could win this game, even though they've gone from three and a half point favorites to three point underdogs, primarily because CJ Stroud's not going to play. John, I know a lot of people have talked about this radio and otherwise this week about CJ not playing, et cetera, and just automatically defaulting to Davis being the guy. You think there's any consideration for a case potentially starting in this game? No, Davis has been working with the, starters of the second team of the scout team all season. Um, Case is almost like a coach, but if something happens to Davis, like he gets hurt or maybe throws a couple interceptions and they have to go to Case, you know, he is a miracle worker. He proved that. And so not many teams can have two backups with as many starting uh, assignments as Mills and Keenum have had in their career. And some people forget you know, if not for Mills, C.J. Stroud wouldn't be here because he had that winning touchdown pass and two-point conversion to beat the Colts, and uh, that gave the first overall pick to Chicago, and they got the second pick for Stroud. And Mills has played well against the uh, Titans. I remember the last game of his rookie year when they were terrible. He threw for 301 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions, a rating of 128, and that was in a must-win game for the Titans. They had to win at NRG Stadium to clinch home field advantage. And, boy, he helped them scare the bejabbers out of them. So he's uh, he's got a lot of ex- starting experience, including on the road. I think they're in pretty good hands. But what worries me still, pass protection. Stroud's been getting hit a lot. Will Mills get hit a lot? Can't run the ball. They just got all kind of issues on offense that they had with Stroud that could that – could, rear their ugly head uh, for Mills as well. John, what about the other side of the ball? It's odd to me how much the Texans have improved in run defense. Leaps and bounds over the last couple of years. And then you look at the pass defense, and it's not going according to plan. They've given up a lot of yards and some points. Sometimes they've kept the point totals down, obviously. They have a winning record. But the Jets had a day last week, and they have to avoid Will Levis having a day. What's that going to take? I'm glad you brought up about the run defense. That's a column I have on sportsradio610.com about the improvement. 
given up from 170 yards to, I think it's, well, I know it's 95.6. They're eighth in the NFL. They're giving up 3.6 yards of carry. That's second. And if you go back to the last eight games, they're giving up 85.1 and 3.3 a carry. And if you take away the quarterbacks, Tyler Murray and Russell Wilson, just stick with the backs. And those last eight games are giving up 73.2 and three yards of carry. So this run defense has been great next year. They got to do something about their running game because I believe for the first time since 2019, Derrick Henry is not going to get 100 yards against the Texans. He's averaged 203 and 7.1 a carry in his last five games against them. That's grotesque. And every time I think of Henry, I think of that 200-yard mark. And last year, when they held him to 126, it felt like we should throw a parade. It was (laughs) unbelievable. I mean, what we were able to finally hold him. We had 48 on the first run and then 78 the rest of the game. So they did a better job on him after that first touchdown run. John, how complicated does this become against Henry because of Will Levis and his growth? Will Will Levis, he'll take off and run. Tajay Spears, the rookie running back, third-round pick from Tulane, he's been – he averaged 5.1 per carry, but he's been really good catching the ball. And he just had six carries for 80-something yards. That's what Brees Hall did to him last week when the linebackers couldn't cover him. And and so you got – they haven't had a lot of worries about any backs other than Derrick Henry. And – it's funny about Henry. He had, he had his first three games against the Texans in his career were nine, 65, and seven yards. Then he had 109 in the fourth game of his career. Then he went another three without 100. And then all of a sudden, he went into the phone booth and he came out from Clark Kent to Superman. And he had 211, 212, 250, 219 before, as you said, they popped the champagne corks when they limited to him to 126, and he still averaged 5.4 yards of carry. And you asked Mark about the coverage. I looked this up on Pro Football Reference, opposing quarterback ratings against the Texans, and Derek Stingley Jr. has been incredible. Ratings, I think, is 45. Jalen Petrie, it's 147. Jimmy, Jimmy Ward's 91. Uh, Christian Harris and Henry Toa Toa, bad in coverage. But Blake Cashman, who may not play, he's been great in coverage. Steven Nelson's been great in coverage. Tavier Thomas gotten roasted. But Desmond King has been good in his short time there. So it hasn't been a corner issue. It's been a linebacker and a safety issue. And you know the Titans, Tim Kelly, who was here for, what, eight years? Tim watched that tape, saw how Brees Hall burned him and they burn themselves a lot of the time, you know he's going to get the ball to Tajay Spears. And I think a lot of times you see Derrick Henry going out, and you're like, and I'll tell you what, the Dolphins limited him to 34 yards and three and carry. You think you do that, you're going to beat the Titans, and they still blew it because he still had two touchdowns. Henry did. He's had six, two in the last three games. He's now up to 10. He's the third back in history. Well, Danian Tomlinson and uh, Adrian Peterson, they have at least 10 in six consecutive seasons. But I feel good about the run defense because they've been really good all season. But, man, that pass coverage has really suffered. 
I'm glad you brought up when they take Henry out of the game because when they take Henry out of the game, I am so happy. As good as Tajay Spears could be, I am always thrilled when they take Henry out of the game. So I root for that early and often against this team. And you brought up injuries. We all did. Here's the deal. Today, Will Anderson did not participate in practice with the ankle. Cashman, no, with the hamstring. Nico, no, with the calf. Fant, no, with the hip. Stroud, obviously not with the concussion. And Tavier Thomas, hamstring, out of practice today. Everybody else limited or full. So we'll see what happens tomorrow, but it's not boding well for Cashman, Stroud, Nico, the guys that you really want to see. Obviously, Anderson, you'd really love to see these guys play. So we'll see what happens uh, in practice. And then when we get the in and out report and then obviously game time itself. General, the Titans are five and eight after knocking off the Dolphins. This would have been a ludicrous question last week. But here we are. They have an opportunity here. They're not in it, but they're not out of it either. They're mathematically still alive for a postseason berth. What are they feeling right now in Nashville about this football team as they take on the Texans twice in the coming weeks? And, hey, you never know. I'm going Nashville perspective right now. Well, first of all, I think all those guys you mentioned are not going to play. Maybe Fant will be able to play because he doesn't have to run much, and he's coming off a bad bad game. And I'm wondering, will we see Charlie Heck for the first time since last season? And uh, they're talking up there. They're not talking about the playoffs. They're talking about they're still uh, just flabbergasted that the Titans pulled that game out and won. DeAndre Hopkins had a great game. He had seven catches, 120-something yards, and a touchdown. And he is on a pace for almost 1,200 yards this season. Happy to see him uh, bounce back like that. But Levis is a rookie. And uh, there's some rookies playing well. Levis, Tommy DeVito, some backups are playing well. Throw in Jake Browning in there. But I don't think anybody in Tennessee is talking playoffs, but they would like to see them win this game. It is going to be weird to see them wearing Columbia blue. But I watched a lot of the game when they played Atlanta. And one thing I'm happy about, Billy White Shoes Johnson is being put in their ring of honor. And it's so weird because Billy played here. And I covered Bill, and he's one of the nicest guys, one of the most electrifying players I've ever seen. And they're polite about it up there. They give them great ovations, but unless they go on YouTube, they're not going to see him. And uh, it's just strange, but hey, that's the way it is. I just like a game when um, I'd like, I'm glad this game means something because so much we've seen in the past where it didn't mean to eat anything to either team. I'd like to see this rivalry turn it up a couple of notches and be what it should have been from the time the Oilers moved to Nashville and the Texans got the expansion franchise. Along those lines, General, outside of Andre Johnson beating the you-know-what out of Corlin Finnegan, what's your favorite or most indelible memory of this rivalry? (laughs) Well, I remember that game uh, in Nashville. The Texans won, and couple of guys got kicked out. There were a lot of fights and everything. And it was uh, it was a brutal game. And I thought, okay, this rivalry has taken off big time. And uh, it's going to be great. And then it wasn't because the teams just haven't been playing for anything. You need them being like the Astros and the Rangers, playing for something when it means something for both teams. And uh, But that's the game that I remember most. 
from a good perspective, from a bad perspective, 2006, NRG Stadium, overtime, Vince Young, I believe there was a rookie linebacker, a second-round pick that made a mistake, went the wrong way or took the wrong guy. Middle of the field was left open, and Vince Young scored the winning touchdown. And and that, to me, because there was so much controversy about Texans not taking Vince because they were hoping that Gary Kubiak in his first season could do something with David Carr, and he couldn't, and David was soon gone for Matt Schaub. But that... Even though there were a lot of Vince Young fans, a lot of Longhorns there, Ape fans there, that one hurt uh, the Texans uh, because of who it was and everything surrounding Vince and the fact that Bud Adams said, V.Y. is my guy, and Jeff Fisher didn't want him, Floyd Reese didn't want him, and Bud said, if you guys don't draft Vince Young, I'll get somebody up there who will. Yeah, and people listening who weren't a part of that, that offseason, Sports Talk Radio, the lines burnt up. They were on fire with calls about Vince Young, Reggie Bush, what do you do, who are you going to draft? Mario obviously didn't come into play until later, as you guys have discussed. General, the Colts, late Saturday afternoon, there's a triple header this Saturday, folks, in the NFL, along with seven bowl games, football fiesta on Saturday. But the Colts are going to host the Pittsburgh Steelers they're in that seven and six group. Who do you got? Steelers, Colts in Indy. Well, I think they need the Colts, of course, to lose because they've beaten the Steelers, but the Steelers' offense is worse without Matt Canada than it was with him. You know, those fans up there in the media, you better care for, be careful what you wish for. But the Colts, Shane Steichen, they've been doing a good job. They've been beating bad teams. They almost almost beat the Ravens. Ravens beat them in overtime. So that last game could be for one to make the playoffs, Texans or Colts. But I think uh, I would pick the Colts, but I'm hoping the Steelers win. General, the other AFC South game, Jacksonville gets another night game, Sunday night, but they get the Ravens. How do you handicap this one? Jacksonville at home, they get another Primetime game. I kind of hope they flame out. What do you think about Baltimore? They won that last one on a backup punt returner's return for a touchdown in overtime. Mm. And because Devin DuVernay was hurt. So they have they have the best record in the AFC. They have home field advantage right now. But you, and you know John Harbaugh has talked to his team about, well, last week Miami had home field advantage. Look what happened to them. The, the Ravens need to beat the Jaguars. That's what's so bad about that Jets game. If they had beaten mm. the Jets, they'd be tied for first place, game ahead of the Colts. But if they could beat the Titans and the, and the Jags lose, because they have been, they've been bad at home. They've been much better on the road where they have one loss. And so Baltimore should win this game. But I don't think Baltimore is a great team. I don't think there's a great team in the AFC. I think the three best or in the NFC, but that means AFC is more competitive. John, Coach of the Year candidates, I don't have the board in front of me. I'm not Sean Pendergast. I don't go for the odds, but I know what I see. So among these candidates, 8-5 and five Cleveland Browns with Kevin Stefanski. You got to give him his due. How about Mike McCarthy and the Cowboys? Is that a possibility? I know we still have a few games to play to determine these things, but what are your thoughts on Coach of the Year this week? 
usually the voters take guys who have done the biggest, the best job of resurrecting a team. That bodes well for D'Amico Ryan, Shane Steichen. Now, the Cowboys got a tough schedule. They just beat Philadelphia, and uh, I think they'd have to run the table because they won 12 games in each of the last two years, and the only thing that counts is regular season. And there have been some good jobs. Stefanski starting four quarterbacks and winning games with four quarterbacks is unbelievable. Minnesota's about to have a fourth, and if the Vikings win, that gives them the same situation. But right now, I think that last game, is gonna could be for the playoffs, could be for who wins coach of the year. We know who's gonna be offensive rookie of the year. And that other one with the Colts could be executive of the year between Nick Casario and uh uh Chris Ballard. Uh there's some guys that have done good jobs and there's a bunch that have done terrible jobs, but I still think there's only one team picked to be worse than the Texans, and that was the Cardinals. And the Texans were picked to be second, get the second pick in the draft for Arizona. Everybody said they're going to get Caleb Williams and Marvin Harrison Jr. because Arizona and Houston are going to be terrible. And uh, right now that pick's in the 20s, and maybe Texans will finish strong, and uh, the pick will be even worse. But uh, nobody has had to come as far as D'Amico Ryan's had. General, what'd you make of Tom Curran's report about Bill Belichick that it's already done, that the trip home from Germany, it was already taken care of, that nothing really that Belichick or the Patriots can do can get them, uh, can keep his job. What are your thoughts about what Tom had to say about that job? Tom covered them uh, for the for newspaper for a long time before he went to NBC Sports Boston, where he does TV, does radio podcasts, and he still writes for their website and he is very very tuned in and he is a legitimate reporter he would not have had that report unless he had it nailed down and there's only one person who can no i'm sorry there's only two people who could tell him that and he can run it and be right like he says he is number one is if bill belichick told it i don't think he did Number two, Robert Kraft. Tom Curran would not put himself out there, subject himself to so much speculation and criticism and know that if Belichick came back, he's going to have egg all over his face. So that tells me he came from a horse's mouth and Belichick's gone. John, Johnny and I are going to get into this a little bit more next segment, but the Kansas City Chiefs, what do you make of their situation right here? How much trouble are they in? You look at what they've been doing. It's not a good amount of points that they're scoring per game. Yeah, they've got the winning record, but my goodness, they've they've lost some big ones recently. What do you think happens to them down the stretch? Now, they are at New England this week, but the rest of the way, the Raiders, all right, the Bengals, you never know, Jake Browning, and at the Chargers. As I look at the schedule, I think they should feel not threatened. But overall, once they get to the postseason, it's just not the same. Even though I love Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes, I'm not tired of them like the Patriots winning every year and going to the Super Bowl, but I'm kind of tired of them. Maybe the State Farm commercials have something to do with that because every time you turn on TV, it's Mahomes and Jake and now Andy Reid uh, doing those commercials. But, you know, there is if Mahomes didn't have to throw the ball, they'd be fine. Unfortunately, he has to throw it to a wide receiver. 
and he can't throw it to Travis Kelsey all the time. So everybody doubling Kelsey as they should. And the receivers have dropped more passes than any in the any receivers in the league, I think 38. By comparison, the Texans have dropped 18. I think there's only 10 teams who've dropped fewer, which is amazing for a group of receivers everybody thought was going to be mediocre to bad, and the number one need was going to be a wide receiver in 2024. But uh, Mahomes and Reed acted uncharacteristically after that game. Kadarius Toney was blatantly offsides. No official owed it to them or him to tell him, get on sides. You've got to be an idiot. All you've got to do is look at the ball. I have done for years, if a player's in the neutral zone or lines up offsides, I tweet immediately, he went brain dead, because that's the only way you can be that dumb. And so their receivers are not, they, they got talent, but they're not using it. And they're putting Mahomes in a terrible situation. They were frustrated. But, you know, they should beat the Patriots. But, man, people got so fired up uh, when Bailey Zappi, Zappi, is that his name? Zappi. When he won that last game. So uh, I think Chiefs will win it. They may win out. The division's not as tough as it looked to be with Justin Herbert out. But still, right now, they're not a Super Bowl contender. They are not, but they're not also going to lose their coach. ESPN has got an article, General, about the top 10 potentially available head coaching jobs in the NFL. At number one, they have the Chicago Bears. At number two, they have the Los Angeles Chargers. At number three, they have the Atlanta Falcons. A, are those jobs open? And B, do you agree with that order? Those jobs are the best if they do potentially become available. Absolutely not. You know, Chicago, while it's a great sports town, you got it's cold, you play in terrible weather there. They're doing that because they have the first pick from Carolina and they draft Caleb Williams. You know, they're hoping to trade, I'm guessing, Justin Fields before the draft to a team like Atlanta, which runs a system that's better suited for him. Matt Eberflus, they've won lately. You know, they're still going to have the top pick from the Panthers. I think the Chargers is the best job. You got Justin Herbert. You got some talent on both sides of the ball. You've got uh, you get to live in LA, play it's a great stadium. I think that is clearly the best. And any of these hot offensive coordinators looking for a head coach like be a head coach like Ben Johnson, Detroit, that should be where they want to go. And I'm guessing John, the worst one of the top ten was Carolina because of David Tepper and a severe lack of talent. General, what else do you have going on on SportsRadio610.com? Well, I have my column on uh, how I think the Texans will uh, limit Derrick Henry to double digits for the first time since 2019. I also have one on there. Not many teams can call on a backup quarterback who got C.J. Stroud here and another one who's a miracle worker. Guys, thank you very much. I appreciate it as always. Thank you, General. Coming up on Texans Radio, we'll play Who's Better? Then, Concussion Talk, Dr. Kenneth Fidel, one of the best experts in the world on the subject, weighs in. It's Texans Radio. All right, right back to it here on Texans All Access. Mark Vandermeer and John Harris with you. And as we promised, it's Who's Better tonight, Johnny. Let's rock. I'm going to go out of order here. We'll get to the Texans' big question in just a moment. But I'm going to start here with playoff contenders. Better chance. Who's better? Better chance of a playoff meltdown. 
the Dallas Cowboys or the Baltimore Ravens? Who's got a better shot at melting down in the playoffs? I'm going negative. It's Thursday night. We're having some fun. I feel like it'd be the Cowboys. Hmm? The Ravens have had some moments that have not been great. Obviously, 2019, number one seed. Hmm? I mean, the Super Bowl was a fait accompli, and they got throttled by the Tennessee Titans in a divisional playoff game on a Saturday night. That was a meltdown. Yep. But... I don't know if, you know, if the Ravens don't win. The AFC is so, I know they're the number one seed right now, but the AFC is so tight. Yep. It's so close that if Baltimore loses, I wouldn't consider it a meltdown. But if Dallas loses, Dallas, say Dallas gets, say Dallas gets the two seed. Mm -hmm. And they got to play the seven seed. And that seven seed beats them. That's a meltdown. I don't care who that seven seed is. Yeah. So would would I be here for it? Would I love it? Yes. I, the Cowboys would be a bigger meltdown, I think, just for that reason, because they've done it before repeatedly. Whereas the Ravens came back the next year in 2020 and lost and went well, to Tennessee. No, they won. They, they won went that to Tennessee one. and won that one. Okay, but but they've not been. And then I can't remember if they made the playoffs. And the lat well last year they made the playoffs, but Tyler Huntley was playing and they lost. I don't know that they're going to go into playoffs and lay an egg with Lamar. I don't know why I feel that way. I how many playoff? Like, how many playoff wins do the Ravens have in the last nine years? It's not many. One. That, that one. one at Tennessee. That's yes, it. that's it. Wow. I still feel like it's the Cowboys. I still feel like it's the Cowboys because they can be glitz and glamour, and if they're at home where they've scored forty plus how many times and get beat, hmm. the Ravens got beat in. They've been beat in Baltimore. How about this? in Baltimore? What I just pointed out. Look, Dallas gets a lot of heat, and I guess deservedly so, of course, considering their tradition, their history. Yeah. But the Ravens get a free pass all over the place, all over the nation, all over the league. If I say, which organization is better, the Cowboys or the Ravens, a lot of people are just going to automatically say Baltimore. And they have one playoff victory since 2014. How many Cowboys have? I think they have three or four or three. No, they don't. I'm thinking four since uh, the Texans started. So they have at least two, I want to say. I think they have one late in the Romo era. And Prescott's only got one, I believe. Maybe two. I'll look it up. But they beat Tampa Bay last year. Look, the Cowboys could finish second in their division and have to go on the road with a much better record than, say, NFC South winner Tampa Bay or do something like that. Yeah and do that all over again against Baker Mayfield, that would be a meltdown to lose a game like that. I think meltdown has to be defined. You lose a game at home when you have a really good record. That, yeah, to me, is a meltdown. I, I agree with that. All right. Uh, let's see. I think, let's see. They beat Tampa Bay. They beat mm-hmm. Seattle 18. They beat the Lions in 14. Okay, there's three since the Ravens have won. Yeah, so well, Dak's 14. got two. All right, so that's two since the Ravens won in 2014. The Ravens have won. It's two to one, Cowboys. I mean, and here I'm defending. I'm not one, really defending Dallas. Dak has one more than Brock Osweiler has. Yeah. Okay. So just. But he's got one more than Brock Lamar Osweiler. Jackson has. That's okay. True. That's true. He's got one Very more true. than he's got two more than Herbert has. We yep. don't get to Burrow. Mm-hmm. Let's just get to the next question, shall we? Who's better? All right, if it's Davis Mills on Sunday for the Houston Texans, we went over the record on the road in the AFC South, and we talked about this with the general. But what's the best Mills win ever? I'll give you the selections. Are you ready for this? In 2021, we've got 
The Jacksonville Jaguars on the road mm-hmm. in December, December 19th, that, that was day. His, that was his first start. Or, I mean, his first win as a starter. His first win as a starter, and that was a fun game because we didn't know what was going to happen, and he had two TDs, yep. one pick. The following week, the L.A. Chargers at home the day after Christmas. Last year, Davis Mills, we're going over what is the best Mills victory ever. You had the tie against the Colts. You had the win at Tennessee on Christmas Eve. One touchdown, one pick, 178 yards. There were some Tennessee turnovers associated with that. And you had, oh, you had the win earlier against the Jags that season. I should point that out. No TDs, no picks in that one, 140 yards passing. Ouch. Damian Pierce ran well in that game. That was the angry run debut for Mm -hmm. Pierce. And, of course, the season capper last year, beating the Colts. That was three TDs, two picks, 57% completion. Not exactly a voluminous stat day. It's kind of all he filled up the whole card with good and bad, but he got the big pass at the end to click and the two-point conversion to get the win. So what's the best Mills win, Johnny? Chargers, day after Christmas, 2021. Bingo. I feel that day... And what I remember about that day, obviously, it's the day after Christmas, so, you know, who doesn't remember that? Um, but what I remember about that day was the, the the lineups were janky on both sides. Like, they were rough on both sides. We had not – I mean, after Jacksonville, we put up 21, 9, 0, 22, 3, 5, 22, 9, 22, 14, 0, 13. And then the week before against Jacksonville, we put up 30. So we turn home, and there are guys with – listen to the starting offense for the Texans that day. Okay? You ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Nico Collins, we know him. Mm-hmm. Chris Conley, sorry, wide receiver. Oh, yeah. The offensive line went like this. Left to right, left tackle, Gerard Christian. Left guard, Cole Toner. Cole Toner. Center, Jimmy Morrissey. Right guard, Max Sharpen. Right tackle, Charlie Heck. The starting tight ends were Anthony Auclair and Farrell Brown. And you beat the Chargers, a and playoff you contender. Beat the Chargers. Mm-hmm. Now they didn't have Bosa, but you know, we're not gonna not gonna split hairs. They had a lot of their guys and we did not. And I think that game, he he was tremendous to me. Um, I knew that Rex had a big game rushing wise. He had 149. Davis was 21 to 27, two touchdowns, had 130.6 rating. And I remember thinking about that game after the Jacksonville game, after what he done against the Patriots and thought, mm, boy, it's pretty good. I mean, that's 130.6 rating as a rookie this is almost is, impossible. This is what shaped the offseason narrative between 21 and yes, 22. That game. Because at San Francisco, it was good for a little bit in that game. Then it kind of slid out of yep. control, but it, it's at San Francisco. Good team. Then you come home, lose to Tennessee, but he has a monster stat day. The second half, he was incredible. Doesn't turn it over, throws three TDs, no picks, looks real good. Quarterback rating 128. And you thought, okay, this is it. Let's see what happens in 2022. We saw yep. what happened in 2022. I'm with you. The Charger game is the Charger best, game. Yep. best Mills victory that we've seen. All right. Who's better? Better chance for redemption this postseason considering what these squads are going through right now the kansas city chiefs or the philadelphia eagles we know these squads know each other well and yes the eagles have a better record than the chiefs but who's got the better chance at redemption because right now i'm not saying they're not they're gonna miss the playoffs or something but you would not project either team to make it at this point although they'll be in the mix and they could easily do it you feel 
I guess. Well, how do you feel? Who's got the better chance at uh, making people feel good? Their fan bases feel good. Wow. I think the, the bar is set so high for both of them. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, that's that's tough. Now, the Chiefs are 8-5. and five. Yep. The Denver Broncos are 7-6. and six, And they split with the Chiefs. Now, what's working against uh, Denver right now to a degree is they're one and two in the division. Yeah. But they have, oh, I'm sorry, take it back. They're two and two because they beat the Chargers. But they've got the Chargers and Raiders coming up to finish the year. But they're at Detroit this weekend. My point in all that is, could Denver catch the Chiefs? And if Denver catches the Chiefs, That'll be a big story. That's a massive story. Yeah. Not only is it a massive story, but it puts the Chiefs in danger of making the playoffs. Uh, I, it, it, I mean, it's I can't all, have I, that. I, I can't see that happening. I mean, I can have that. I can't hear that. I just think it's well not going to happen. What's, but the, maybe. what's the Chiefs' final record? At New England, home Raiders, home Bengals, at Chargers. They're not going to lose more than one of those games. Well, did you think they would lose to the Eagles, Packers, Packers, and Bills? Uh, I thought the Bills would be tough. I thought one of them would beat them. I thought the Bills would be tough. Yeah. Green Bay on the road, right? Yeah. Eh, Eagles, of course, they could lose that game. So, to me, I just can't see them losing to New England. Here's, they here's, get home, and they're really tough at home still. Here's what's odd about this. You know, in years past with the Kansas City team, you look at the score, like, well, they could score. After the Bears game, Bears had 41. Now, before the Bears game, they scored 20 and 17. Then they had 23, 27, 19, 31 in a win. 9, 21, 17, 19, 17. And they had a 31 in there mixed in yeah, as well. Yeah, they're not scoring so points. They're not scoring. They're, yeah, not, yeah. they're not putting the ball in the end zone. Right. And it's costing them. The defense is playing pretty well. Like, the defense hasn't given up more than 27. And that was the Packers. That was the highest total they've given up. The point in all that is I the, the Chiefs have set such a standard, but the Eagles to me, they're now what they're now tied with the Cowboys, but the Cowboys have the tiebreaker as it sits currently. But if the Eagles came in second to the Cowboys after having such a lead to start the season, I mean it'd be Armageddon up there. Well, it just shows you what the Texans going through in a very different way. Absolutely. It, it does matter what you've put up, but you gotta continue to put it up. You and cannot put any hay in part. the barn with right. four or five games to go. You got to continue to play. The you and Eagles, I were talking about this at practice the other day. Yeah. We were talking about practice yesterday. Um, I can't remember where I heard this, but we're talking about how quarterbacks, I'm sorry, teams throughout the league. And I used the wrong verbiage saying that good teams in the league have had multiple quarterbacks win games. And you were like, okay, what about Baltimore? What about Philly? What about Kansas City? Yeah. And it's like all those good teams have had a quarterback stay healthy Dak. for the entire time. Dak Prescott with the Cowboys. They've had a quarterback stay healthy the entire season. Yeah, There have been other teams that have won games. But I found it interesting because even though Jalen Hurts is quote-unquote healthy, I don't know that he's quote-unquote healthy. Right. Patrick, I think, is kind of the same way. Now, Patrick, I think, is dealing. His, his health is... I think more impacted by his receivers not catching the football. Um, but they feel like just outside of looking at, they feel like beat up teams and they're not, not injury wise. 
they just feel like oh, like emotionally beat up. Yes, I think it's a Johnny. The seventeen games. I know it's, this is a different philosophical conversation. It's a different sport almost. Yeah, it it's is. a very different kind of campaign. It's way more one week. I know it's only one more game, but it does something. To the universe. Yes. And here we are. And yeah. by the way, the Eagles have the Seahawks, Giants twice, and Cardinals on the way out. Not in that order. Giants uh, sandwich a Cardinals game on New Year's Eve. So they'll get Tommy Cutlets twice. They get Seattle on the road. Eh, it's tough. I think with the Cowboys, when you look at the division hopes, Bills, Dolphins, Lions, Commanders, that's a pretty tough stretch. Yeah. I'm not going to put two and two off the table in that stretch for the Cowboys. And maybe the Eagles can still eke out ahead, but we'll see. That's I'm going to go with the Eagles the to answer your question. With right. the Eagles to answer your question. All right, one more quick one here. Let's go college. Who's better? Better open spot for a quarterback because these prominent programs have had, have had QBs transfer, Ohio State or Oklahoma. And I don't think it's an automatic answer here. Oklahoma or Ohio State, both of these schools lost their quarterbacks. And I know mm-hmm. they got guys in the stable. But right, they are in poorly, yeah. You are Johnny Harris QB Deluxe. You just lit it up at Texas State, and the NIL proposals are out there. Where do you want to go, Johnny? Ohio State. Okay. Ohio State. I still think, I know Kyle McCord didn't have the greatest season, but I know what Ryan Day, how valuable Ryan Day was to CJ. If you listen to CJ, what he talks about. You know, Ryan Day's taking quarterbacks. I know everybody was like, Ohio State quarterbacks don't make it in the NFL. Yeah, because they're just good college quarterbacks, and Ryan Day has made the most of them. Oklahoma, they're changing offensive coordinators. They've got a defensive-minded head coach. Um, I think that's a little bit more to overcome. I feel like there's a little bit more stability in some sense at Ohio State, as crazy as that sounds, given what Ohio State went through. But I just feel like there's too much at Oklahoma. Yeah, they're going to the SEC. And that would that would matter. And I know how many SEC programs, how much they, how many bags they've got, if you know what I mean. And so now Texas and Oklahoma are going to be part of that mix. And the, the schedules uh, got announced last night. Wow, there. I know going Oklahoma, Texas going to the SEC was kind of oh, it was a contentious talking point for a long time, especially for people here because of the Big Twelve and all that. But then when you see it and you see the schedules and you're like, oh, Texas plays these teams. Texas plays A&M. Oh, man, Georgia's playing Alabama early in September. Oklahoma is going to such and such place they've never been. You start getting excited about it. It's yeah. pretty wild. Yeah. So there's there's part, that I, part of that that I would have to consider. But then again, if I'm at Ohio State, I got the opportunity to go out west, play Oregon, Washington, USC, UCLA. I'm going to go Ohio State. I just trust Ryan Day a little bit more. I like the stability there right now. I'm going with that. All right, Johnny. Thanks so much. And coming up, Dr. Kenneth Padell, concussion expert. Let's talk to him about the injury everyone's talking about. It's coming up here on Texans Radio. Right back to it here on Texans Radio. Mark Vandermeer with you. And, of course, lots of injuries for this team. It seems like it's been this way all season long. They've had to rally on many occasions. Remember back when they beat Pittsburgh in week four on what day, how many guys were out in that game? And you might not recall, but Austin Deculus starting at left tackle, Kendrick Green playing at left guard. Feels like a thousand years ago, but this team has had to overcome so much 
in injuries and whatnot to get to where they are. And where they are is 7-6, and six, heading into Nashville. C.J. Stroud has not practiced this week. Yeah, that would not bode well for playing on Sunday, recovering from a concussion. So let's just call it what it is. And why don't we bring in the expert, one of the foremost experts on planet Earth on the subject from Houston Methodist, Dr. Kenneth Padell. Now, this is a little best of a conversation I had with Dr. Padell a couple of months ago, but it certainly applies great info on concussions and how to recover. Let's start with diagnosis, a lot of self-reporting going on. What can Dr. Padell tell us about that and just about finding out if someone has a concussion and how bad it is? Oh, that's great, Mark. Yeah, they bring up two very good points. Uh, first has to do with the assessment. Just came out a couple months ago is uh, an update, and it's called the Sports Concussion Assessment Tool. And it's just updated about a year ago, but just released a few months ago. And it's a significant improvement in helping individuals um, evaluate for possible concussion. Uh, it's designed for professionals, those that are, are in the field, but it really highlights the multitude of problems that can occur in a concussion. Things like balance, dizziness, eye movement problems, neck problems, um, you know, the thinking stuff that everyone's familiar with. But it's, it's a real nice update on the assessment. And they also just created a version for office visits. So when you follow up with a doctor, and it's a nice way. It's a nice outline for the doctors to follow in looking at all the different parts that can um, be affected in a concussion. Doctor, what can you tell us about baselines? We hear a lot about this as you evaluate a player who might have concussion symptoms, compare them to his baseline data. How do you evaluate what baseline data are? Yeah, it's it's interesting. Baseline assessments were very, very popular um, a few years ago. And uh, originally thought of the best way of looking at athletes that may have concussions. Are they at baseline? And, and we're actually getting away from that a little bit mm. because the tools now have such great normative data that we know what to compare them to. So tests compare an 18-year-old male with 5,000 18-year-olds that never had a concussion. So the we're getting away from the baseline, but the, the idea is when we get them, when we're ready to return an athlete to play, we want to make sure that they are at that baseline, which typically means no symptoms that they've ever experienced before, that their thinking skills are back to normal, sleeping is back to normal. All of those things are at where they were before the concussion. Well, when you have someone suffering from a concussion, what is the recovery? Should somebody be around other people doing relatively normal things? Or how is it determined what they can or cannot do? Is that about what you can tolerate yourself? How do you evaluate and prescribe treatment? Good point. And a lot has to do with the type of pattern. Um, I, I believe that individuals have a signature to their concussion. So therefore, the treatment plan is tailored to the problems that that person is experiencing. The point that you do bring up that um, I think is is becoming a little bit more um, acknowledged in the, and, and used in the um, profession is after about 48, probably 72 hours, we start to get the 
patient moving again. A uh, little bit of physical activity, a little bit of cognitive activity. Um, I, I like to use the, the uh, phrase Goldilocks approach to all of this, not too little and not too much activity. An activity could be a three to five minute walk or it could be reading for five minutes. What we try to do there is to make sure that their symptoms don't get worse. If the activity makes the symptoms worse, we say stop, back it down and slowly and gradually increase over time. What we're finding is this approach of gradually increasing activity helps us recover faster from the concussion. Lack of activity, as you know, is never good for health and, and it's not good for the concussion either. So this whole idea of being in a dark room until your symptoms go away, uh -uh, we don't do that anymore. It's this gradual increase of activity. How are things going at the concussion center? Anything you can share with us that you're excited about? Anything new? Anything you're working on? We're excited about a couple of things at the concussion center. Um, we will be monitoring um, patients that come in to use the Methodists for concussions. We um, have a way of using text messaging to have to follow patients acutely after a concussion. Uh, for example, if they walked into one of our urgent cares or emergency rooms and were diagnosed with a concussion, they would be offered the opportunity to enroll in this program. And what we're going to do is closely monitor their symptoms uh, and their problems and offer them advice for treatment, offer them visits with any of our 22 doctors that see concussions throughout Houston Methodist. So we'll be able to reach out to these individuals in in the public. And the reason that's important is because more recent research has shown that up to 60, 70% of individuals that sustain a brain injury or concussion don't follow up with doctors, yet 70% still have symptoms um, weeks or months after that. So this is an opportunity for us to help the public recover from their concussions quicker. Great information as always, doctor. We really appreciate the time. Uh, thank you very much for having me. All right, there's Dr. Kenneth Pidell with Houston Methodist. Houston Methodist, the official health care provider of the Houston Texans, Houston Methodist leading medicine. All right, that's going to do it for the show tonight. We've got another great one tomorrow. We are loaded tomorrow with all sorts of good stuff. Defensive coordinator Matt Burke is going to join us. D'Amico Ryan's right out of the chute. We'll have a Texans player or two along the way. Plenty of info on the Titans from their perspective as they're going to wear those uniforms. It's going to be Sunday at noon for the game tomorrow at 6 for Texans Radio and Saturday night, our one-hour TV block, 1035 on ABC 13 with Texans Extra Points. Cody Stutes is on the show along with Brandon Scott. You don't want to miss it. Have a great night, everyone. Go Texans!